0: physical money that's actually moving about yeah. through these transactions, $3 trillion, while the actual credit that's extended mm-hmm. is at $50 trillion. And this is your mortgage, this is your car payment, this is uh, you know, the money that's being lent for your furniture and those kind of things. So that is a value, mm-hmm. but it's credit. And mm-hmm. there's a big difference between those two.
1: Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and in this episode of Getting Money Right, we are going to start a series. And so in this episode, we're going to be talking about the economy and how it works and economics, but it's going to be part of a larger series of episodes. And this series of episodes has been inspired by so many different things. My college economics textbook, you know, has been influential psychology and sociology teachings, both from high school and college and online and multiple sources for both Leo and I economic videos that we've been following, uh, economic thought experts that we've been following, Um, what's happening in the news. I think that's probably been one of the biggest inspirations is seeing buzzwords and terminology and politics coming into the news and policy making. And that has inspired us to build out this series. Another really important piece is that we've pulled from um, some great information from a video and a series that Ray Dalio does uh, but a, a particular video that's called How the Economic Machine Works. And I said Dalio. I don't know if it's Dalio or Dalio, Leo, but from Ray. <laughs> Ray. From our, our good buddy, our Ray. Our buddy, Ray. Right. <laughs> <Ray. laughs> that's right. So How the Economic Machine Works. It's on YouTube. And, uh, and he also has a great course that goes into broader learnings in this topic. And so we've just pulled from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I am going to say this. Some of the content in this series might be difficult to understand. Yes. Honestly, some of it's difficult for us to even explain. Yeah. Uh, you know, We've been absorbing, we've been writing, we've been tweaking. Uh, we're going to do the absolute best job that we can to explain it well. But if you don't understand something fully, that is okay. Mm-hmm. Just do your best to absorb it. And then maybe come back and listen to the series again. Uh, It is going to be a multi-part series. We're going to go as far as we can in an episode. When we kind of hit our time limit, we'll stop, and then we'll pick it up in the next episode. Right. Um, Combine this series with other learning in this space. Uh, We encourage you to watch how the economic machine works. By Ray mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ray Dalio D A L I O uh, or Dalio, and yeah, the, it's
0: on YouTube. You'll be able to find it very YouTube. quickly.
1: Very yep. simple, and then uh, check out other economic videos. Continue to expand your education in this area because it does impact yeah. your overall financial life.
0: Yeah, I think that's what inspired us to really do this. Is we recognize that over the last two two and a half plus years, we've been really focusing on personal finance from the perspective of what is it that you as an individual can do to better set yourself up so that your finances are accomplishing the goals and the dreams that you have for yourself and your family. So we are, I would say, experts in that because that's really our main focus. Our main focus is to help you understand how to make more money, how to spend it wisely, how to save, how to invest. And we do that from a very practical basis. When it comes to economics, these Mm -hmm. are much loftier, harder to understand concepts. These are things that, as David said, we have to consistently go back to and look at and say, how is it impacting our personal finances? Because it does. And this is why we want to do these episodes Mm -hmm. is because even though the economy as a whole happens outside of your ability to really individually influence, I mean, you can go spend money and that does impact the economy. But on a broader scale the economy and what happens outside of your control has implications and there are things that you can do personally that can set you up to better weather those cycles that the economy will go through ups and downs so that's why we want to talk about this because no matter what you do individually if you're not aware and do not understand how the economy works it will have either positive or negative consequences to you so this is just kind of a next level of of training or understanding on personal finances, even though it talks about the economy on a broader scale and it's going to have some terms in there that maybe you've never heard before, or maybe they've always confused you. That's okay. But... We are going to say, without a doubt, that this will impact you personally. So we want you to really take the time to listen. Go back and watch the video we recommended. Listen to our podcast several times. These are not concepts you're going to hear once, and they're just going to stick. That's it's right. going to take some time.
1: That's right. So uh, we're going to kick it off with an introduction to some economic science. We're going to try to make it interesting and engaging and make it help it make sense, because mm-hmm. this can be a little complex. So we'll talk about uh, economic realities and how the overall financial system works. And then as we go into further parts of the series, we'll continue talking about social science and social systems and political science Mm -hmm. and how different political systems could influence the economy, could influence your personal life, We may even get into bits and pieces around philosophy Mm -hmm. and religion and morals and then personal behavior because all of these things are going to influence your life. And if you understand the big picture, the macro picture, and then you can get more to the micro personal picture— you're going to have a better understanding of how the world works and what you can do to be successful. So honestly, we're, we're building it as we go. We're talking through things. We're, we're finding new sources of inspiration even as uh, we build this series. But I want you to know it's going to be kind of fun because I think at the end of it, we will have an economic perspective, a social perspective, a governmental perspective, and then really some personal human behavior things that you can do.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. So let's just start with just understanding how the economy works. Now, this is going to be a high level. And again, we're going to go into in through this in more detail as we do so. But let's just start with what influences the economy. What are the three forces, uh, according to Ray, uh, and we, we think it's a great video again, so we do recommend that you watch it. But there are three main forces that drive our economy. And number one is the productivity growth. And productivity growth really is a measure of the output of labor. So it's typically calculated for the economy as a ratio of production to hours of labor. So we all have heard the term GDP or gross Mm -hmm. domestic product. What that really means is that it's a total monetary or market value of all the goods and services that were produced in a country in a specific period of time. And that's typically a year. So the GDP is what does the United States population produce in goods and services in the course of a year. Mm -hmm. So the productivity growth is something that is consistently happening. And it is somewhat of an upward trajectory because as you're producing at your own job, other people are producing. And as a whole, our economy has grown, right? It's valued at a higher, higher level every time. So the GDP continues to grow as we produce more, as more things are are created, more products are created, and more labor and more people are added to the equation. So that's what productivity growth is. It is typically seen as something that consistently grows over time, and it does not fluctuate like the market does. It's a kind of a steady growth over time. It does dip from time to time, but for the overall picture, if you were to pull back and look at it, in 100, 200 year time span, it would be somewhat of an upward, up to the right trajectory. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you're just gonna see as as technology improves, as people learn more skills, as they invest in better equipment, Mm -hmm. that people are more productive. We produce things a lot faster than we did 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago. Uh, We just produce more and more quickly. So there's three main forces driving the economy. The first is the productivity growth, the Mm -hmm. productivity of the country. The second is the short-term debt cycle. So there are cycles of debt, and the short-term version is about five to eight years. We're going to dig more into this. And then the third driving force is the long-term debt cycle. So this cycle typically lasts anywhere from 75 to 100 years. Mm -hmm. There's a big window there. There's a 25-year window, but um, these three things together, productivity, along with the short term debt cycles and the long term debt cycles, that is going to influence how the economy actually works and operates. Mm -hmm. So let's go to really the very, if we were to go back to economics, the very basic, the very, the very building block of the economy all together, that was a high level, these three things are going to impact it. But now let's go very low level, the building block is really transactions.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, it's <laughs>
1: spending. It's spending. It is. It is this idea that you have something. You're a seller, and I'm a buyer, and I'm like Leo. I really like the microphone that you're using for this podcast. I would like to buy that from you. And we figure out some kind of transaction. Mm -hmm. And maybe I have, uh, you know, sheep and goats to trade with you for your microphone. Or maybe I have, you know, US dollars to trade. But the transaction is the building block of the economy. And it's built off of buyers and sellers exchanging goods, financial services, uh, financial assets, you know, Mm -hmm. different products. And the total spending. That's done. So you and I have a transaction, but there are 300 million people in the US. All of them are doing transactions, right. usually multiple per day. The total spending that occurs drives the economy. Yeah. All of the transactions happening, all the cash and all the credit. Mm-hmm. Now I'm using those words very intentionally the cash and the credit, that spending drives our economy. And the more spending that happens, divided by the total quantity of stuff that is purchased equals the price. Yeah. So when when I'm going to buy something, uh, the amount I'm spending, it, based on the number of stuff I'm getting or the amount of stuff I'm getting, that is the price. And so if you start to add more spending without more stuff, then the price is going up. Mm-hmm. If you start to remove some spending, but you add more productivity and stuff, then the prices are going down. So we're building some building blocks, cash, credit buyers and sellers doing transactions
0: and then price mm-hmm. and all of this all these cycles and all these forces in the economy are driven by transactions and these transactions are done in the market now you guys have heard about the investment or the stock market right but there are many types of markets in the u.s there's a weed market there's a car market there's a stock market there's the steel and cotton market so there's markets out there that people are exchanging both money or credit for these products ongoing. And that's what makes up the market. And the market is multiple markets all together having transactions happening all the time that create the economy. That's so the right. market is all these buyers and all these sellers making transactions for typically for the same thing because again, they're exchanging based on what they need, right? And so that that's the, all the spending and all the total quantity in all of these markets Make up our economy.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you live in the U.S., you might recognize that the government is actually the biggest buyer and seller. Uh, it is the largest spending force mm-hmm. in the economy. Whether you know that or not, uh, think about it. The central government, and you can really break this down into two pieces. Again, let's talk about cash and credit. There is a difference, and we're going to dig into those. That the government consists of the central government. And when I think of the central government, and you could, you could think of this a few different ways, but I think of the White House, I think of the Senate, I think of the Congress, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got all these smaller forms of government in states and you know yes. municipalities and all that. But I think of the executive, the judicial, the legislative branches, I think of the central government that buys and sells, that collects taxes from us, and the amount of taxes that are collected and then the amount of spending that the government can do in any given year to date is about 4 trillion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. 3.83 somewhere around there, but basically 4 trillion. That is how much money comes into the government and is spent by the government every year and that is cash. Mm-hmm. That is actual money coming in and going out. Right. Then there's that's one form of the government. The other form of the government is the central bank and in the US the central bank is called the federal reserve you've mm. probably heard of the fed the central bank controls the amount of money and credit in the economy now mm. this is where we're getting to the credit side the central government white house you know congress senate they can only spend up to this 4 trillion dollars of actual real cash that comes in every year right. through taxes and other other you know other means of the government pulling money out of people then the Federal Reserve actually is a key player in the flow of credit. And credit is actually more important. The amount of credit is actually even greater than the amount of cash in our economy. So a lot of times people are thinking, oh, well, $4 trillion. But over here, there's this Federal Reserve. There's this huge central bank of the entire country that is actually pushing credit into the economy, which is adding Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And when we, and we'll talk about this several times throughout, but the amount of cash and overall, uh, you know, kind of physical currency out in the economy is somewhere around $3 trillion, right, right, Leo? Right. The amount of credit in the economy is somewhere around $50 trillion.
0: Huge difference there. Huge difference. $3 trillion of actual physical money is out in our country, Mm -hmm. okay, $3 trillion. So now remember, like anything else, money is printed sometimes, right? The Mm -hmm. the Fed does get to, the central bank gets to print money from time to time. And we'll talk about how that actually impacts our economy. But- at the same time, money sometimes it's lost, sometimes it's stored. Mm-hmm. Uh, so physical money that's actually moving about yeah. through these transactions, $3 trillion, while the actual credit that's extended mm-hmm. is at $50 trillion. And this is your mortgage, this is your car payment, this is uh, you know the money that's being lent for your furniture and those kind of things. So that is a value, mm-hmm. but it's credit. And mm-hmm. there's a big difference between those two. That's right. So, okay
1: there's the money that's available in dollars. And then there's the credit, which is the ability for someone to borrow. Now, when somebody borrows, or they go into debt, what is actually happening is they're pulling money from the future into today. Mm -hmm. It's basically time traveling money. It's like, hey, in the future, (laughs) 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 it's like, I'm in the future, I'm going to give you money, I will promise to give you my future dollars in exchange for the ability to use somebody else's money, your money. Let me use your money, Leo, to buy something for myself. And this is this is in a good economy with open exchange where mm-hmm. there's freedom. You, if you're lending money, you want to lend money. Yep. You want to make money on your money. You're sitting on $100,000 and you say, Hey, I would love to lend you some money, David, so that you pay me interest and your money makes money. So it's valuable for the lender. The borrower, let's say in this scenario, I'm the borrower, I wanna borrow that $100,000 so I can get something today that I couldn't otherwise afford today. A, A house, a car, a business startup. So in a free exchange economy, again, go back to transactions, borrowing and lending is good. It allows somebody that wants to earn some interest on their money to earn interest. It allows somebody who wants to buy something today without having the money today to buy that thing. And credit allows both lenders and borrowers to get what they want.
0: Yep, exactly. That's so we right. made
1: this big distinction of you know three trillion versus the fifty trillion. Having credit is not a bad thing per mm-hmm. se, but we need to understand it.
0: Yeah, I love the the thing that you talked about, David. That borrowing is actually taking money from the future, right? So t- if today I want to buy a house and I'm not able to, I don't have the hundred fifty, hundred seventy five thousand dollars to buy this thing for cash. What I can do is I can go to a lender. And I can say, hey, I have a good job, I have some assets, or I have a credit history that shows that I've been a responsible person who's been paying. So because I'm credit worthy, the lender is motivated to lend me money because Mm -hmm. they want to make money on their money. So their benefit is I'm going to lend Leo and Natalie for the next 30 years, Mm $175,000, and they're going to pay us 4% over the next 30 Mm -hmm. years. They're going to make X amount of money by lending that money out to me. And I don't have to wait 30 years to to gain my house. I can do that today. And then I could pay over the next 30 years. The difference here, though, we have to understand is that by me borrowing money today to get that item, that house today, I'm promising to pay over the next 30 years. So here's what that means. Because I'm going to have a payment over the next 30 years, what I'm agreeing to do is to spend less every month buy whatever that mortgage payment is. I'm going to spend less- On other things. On other things. Because <laughs> that 1200 1500 whatever right. my it's mortgage payment mortgage. is, yep. is going to go toward that. So I'm committing that I'm going to spend that on there, plus it's going to add the principal and the interest to it, right? Right. That's what David was trying to communicate, is that by borrowing today, you're promising to pay with money that you'll make tomorrow. But more importantly, you agreed to spend less tomorrow in order to pay what you're borrowing. Yes.
1: And we've just introduced another very important concept from a large economic perspective and a personal economic perspective. And that is the idea of interest rates. Because the lender is only going to lend if there's a benefit to them. And that benefit is the interest that they receive, the extra money on top of the principal that's being paid back. So when the interest rates are high, then there's less borrowing. Because if I need to borrow from Leo or I want to borrow from Leo and he says, Hey, yeah, I'll lend you a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm going to lend it to you at a 50% interest rate. Mm -hmm. That means Mm -hmm. the year from now I'm going to owe him 150,000. That's very unappealing to me. I'm probably not going to borrow that money. So borrowing goes down if you have very high interest rates. Now think back to the federal reserve. The federal reserve can control interest rates. So if they raise interest rates, less people will borrow. The flip side of that is true. When interest rates are very low, then it makes more sense for me, the borrower, to come to Leo and say, oh, for 1%, you'll lend me $100,000? Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, next year, I only owe you $1,000. That's wonderful for me. Uh, I would love to borrow $100,000 and only pay you 1%. Let's say it was 0 Let's say you gave me your money and didn't expect anything in, you know, in return as a benefit. I'd be like, wow, that's even better. So lower interest rates mean more people want to go out and borrow because it's cheaper. It's easier to do. Mm-hmm. And again, the Federal Reserve... Yeah, you get more stuff. Right. And the Federal Reserve has the power over the interest rate uh, across the country. Now, that, that set interest rate will affect hundreds of other interest rates across the country. So... Why do people even allow credit to occur? Like, why would Leo ever extend credit to me? Well, it's based on my ability to repay, as he talked about earlier. Do I have an income and the collateral, the yeah. assets? Let's say he lets me borrow 100000 but he says, I'll only let you borrow 100000 if you buy a house, which you can then sell if something goes wrong and or you're not can able can to make payments. I can take it from you. <laughs> you <laughs> <don't> <laughs> exactly. <me. laughs> or I can take it from you. Exactly. Right. So, um, you know, and this is funny enough, but, you know, back in the day when there was less financial structure and we talked about this in episode 10 of getting money right where we talked about credit scores and fico scores and understanding the credit system like if you go way back in history and even it happens today still sometimes it's a handshake deal mm. leo may just trust me based on my name and our relationship or right. not maybe not even my name maybe leo's friends with my dad and and leo's like yeah i'll lend your son you know some money because i trust that the family is good so it could be a handshake deal that that happens through credit but today it's typically through income and through uh, assets
0: yeah through agreement so credit what's interesting about credit is that credit is actually created out of nothing it yep. does not take money to create credit that's the interesting part that most people don't understand credit is simply well, let me give you an example in the video ray talks about how if a guy goes to the bar to buy a beer mm-hmm. he could either pay cash for it so that transaction is exchanged and the transaction happens by the man handing his five dollars and getting the beer in exchange, and the transaction is done. It's finished in that sense. But if he says, "Hey, put put it on my tab," mm-hmm. right, a credit. By doing so, the guy buying the beer, with the promise that he'll pay the bartender sometime down the road. Right. That's when credit is just. That's it. It comes up now. Here's what what's interesting about that. As soon as that transaction happens through credit, two things happen. The borrower has now an asset. He has money out in this person's pocket that he will eventually get, okay? Whereas the borrower or the guy who bought the beer now has a liability. He Mm -hmm. needs to pay that $5 Mm -hmm. or whatever his tab happens to be. So the point is that when you create credit, two things happen. An asset is produced and a liability is produced. The borrower has the liability and the lender has the asset. And not until that's paid in a future time does that transaction complete. Mm-hmm. Because the only way to complete is when that debt is paid. And once it's paid, the transaction's complete and both the liability and the asset disappear. Now, if you bought a house, the asset now, it disappears from the lender, but now it's fully yours. So it's your yeah. asset. So it doesn't disappear in that sense. But the transaction closes out or changes who has what. The liability is no longer there. The asset is now switched hands. It's fully the owners rather than the lender.
1: hmm and this credit is important because it allows the borrower, when they get that credit, to be able to increase their spending. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, I couldn't buy a $100,000 home unless Leo was willing to lend me $100,000. So his lending to me has allowed me to increase my spending. I'm actually gonna go into the market And I'm going to go into the housing market in particular and find a house for $100,000. And I'm going to spend that money. Now we have another transaction. First, there was a credit and a debt transaction between Leo and myself. Now there's a $100,000 purchasing transaction between myself and a realtor and a home builder or somebody who's selling their home. And as I spend money, that money becomes income for someone else. Yes, Now the realtor has gained a $4,000 fee and the home builder has gained $96,000 in increase to their bank account. And my spending becomes somebody else's income. And the more that I spend, the more dollars that other people earn and the more that they earn, the more that they can spend... And then as they spend it influences somebody else's. So there's this cycle. Yep. More spending equals more income for somebody else equals more spending equals more income. And and you can boost that dramatically by letting somebody borrow off of credit. And whereas David today couldn't have spent a hundred thousand. In a relationship with Leo and a credit and a debt relationship, now we've increased spending in the economy by $100,000, which has increased incomes. It's increased the general economic market across because the realtor may go buy a car and the car salesman may go buy a candy bar and the candy bar maker may go buy fill in the blank.
0: Yeah, you're actually adding productivity to that. Don't forget, that's one of these components, right? One of these forces the market is productivity. So when David decides to buy this house, he borrows from me or the bank or whatever but then the house builder has to get to work. right? So they're gonna produce in order to earn this income, right? this money that David's borrowing, he's not mm-hmm. just giving it to him, he's giving it to him because he's producing that product which is the home. And then everybody else that's involved in the process will also earn. You know, The supplies will come from a supply house. Mm-hmm. That supply house will earn a certain amount of that money. So what happens now is people are producing labor and services that are all stirred by one transaction that started with David wanting to buy a house and mm-hmm. me having the ability to lend it to him. So that transaction has to actually produced additional transactions. So and this is how the economy begins then to take off and starts to increase and improve because transactions are happening all the time and it's making people productive. And as it's making people productive and, and money's exchanging hands, more people make more money, more spending happens. And that's where that cycle then begins to go up. And what we see the actual economy began to improve, Mm -hmm. right? And we've seen that. Uh, The last downturn we saw in the economy was in 2008. Since then, we've seen an increase all the way up to the pandemic. We've seen an increase and an increase and an increase. And that all has happened through these transactions.
1: Yes. And this is so vital to understand. Because even just the fact that I borrowed from Leo and I spent money on this house That increased the realtor's income. And because the realtor's income went up, other borrowers will be more likely to lend money to the realtor because their income has increased. And what was one of the criteria for somebody lending money in an open economy is the ability for that person to repay. repay. That's right. And the ability to repay is influenced by their income or their other collateral and assets. Right. So, this becomes a self reinforcing pattern. And just like Leo said, from you know, 2010 to basically 2020, early 2020, there was this reinforcing pattern of growth. Hey, I'm borrowing, I'm buying, I'm buying, that means somebody else can buy. The more that I borrow, the more that I spend, the more that somebody else can increase in their income and then borrow and then spend reinforcing. We're on the positive side of this right now. Yep. I can tell you, foreshadowing, (laughs) that there is a negative side coming, or we can talk about where that goes in a different cycle. Remember, we said there's productivity, which is long-term. The productivity continues to increase. But these short-term cycles, these five- to eight-year cycles Mm -hmm. of debt usage, uh, they can be good and they can be bad. So we're going to talk about these short-term, and then there's the long-term debt cycle that we talked about, the three things driving the economy. So let me take a personal break here. Yep can borrowing ever be smart? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because when somebody borrows in a way that increases their productivity, mm. when it when they borrow in order to increase their ability to earn, they can pay the debt back and have an increase on top of that. Now, can borrowing ever be dumb? <laughs> right? We just talked about all the positives. Hey, we're yep. increasing, increasing, increasing. Yes, borrowing can be very dumb because when somebody borrows to buy something that doesn't increase their productivity, mm-hmm. remember, productivity is a key in pretty much this whole thing. Right. Or here's another idea. They anticipate that they're going to grow their productivity when they borrow, but it doesn't actually work out. Then that borrowing can be very poor, very uh, ineffective. Let's talk about some just really simple examples for you and me personally. Uh, Let's say I borrow to buy a TV. Mm -hmm. That did not increase my productivity.
0: No, more than likely not. <laughs> more than likely <laughs> not. Uh, honestly, if anything, it actually did the opposite. Yes,
1: exactly. So, borrowing to consume an electronic item is tip. Well, not all electronic items. Let's stick with TVs. Borrowing to consume a TV um, is not going to increase my productivity. It's usually going to be a bad way to use borrowing and lending. Right. Let's talk about cars. Was it bad to borrow for a car? Well, let's say, and this is interesting. I would say that there's a 20% it might make a lot of sense, 80% it might not make sense. And we can run the numbers, it doesn't have to be 20, 80. But think about this, you buy a brand new car, all it does is go down in value as soon as you purchase Especially it. Especially early on. Especially early on. So again, it's maybe not increasing your productivity. But if it's a new vehicle so you can get to a job, mm-hmm. let's say not even a new vehicle, let's say it's a used vehicle that you spent $10,000 on, but it's worth $10,000. So it actually, if it goes down in value at all, it only goes down in value about what you're paying it off. We call this surety. You have a sure way to pay it off if you need to. So, okay, uh, a b- borrowing to buy a car, I'm going to say likely it's not the best use of debt, but in some cases it could be.
0: Well, the the, the point here is if you could do it, but do it with less borrowing or spend less money, then financially, you're not promising as much of your future income to take care of it today. So that's actually good for you, right? Because borrowing can help you, like David said, if you borrow in order to be more productive, that's a good thing. But there is such a thing as borrowing too much to the degree that the future is going to look very grim for you Mm -hmm. because so much of your income is already spoken for. So now you have less to spend in the future, and that could be a bad thing. So yes, there's good and bad borrowing. Typically, it comes down to a choice, but it comes down to the choice whether you're buying a liability or whether you're buying a potential asset.
1: Right. Something that'll increase your productivity in the future. So think about college. College could be a great investment because you're improving your skills, which will allow you to go into the marketplace and earn more. You've increased your productivity, even if you borrowed to do that. But... More than 50% of people don't graduate from college, so they borrowed, they didn't increase their skills, Mm. and then now they just have debt that makes them unproductive. Uh, Let's talk about housing. A lot of times, the housing market goes up, and it allows you a safe and secure place to have a nice, restful sleep and to have a home, and so your productivity may go up emotionally, mentally, security, the value typically goes up. But if you over borrow, you overextend, you can't afford it, it may decrease your productivity. It may cause you to have restless nights. It may the economy might go down and the value of your home goes down and it dramatically affects you. So borrowing, can it be good? Yes. Can it be bad? Yes. This is where the nuance of day-to-day living comes in, even buying equipment for a business the business may succeed and it was a great investment. The business may fail and it decreased your productivity and then there's problems. So, um, okay, we are, we're at the place where we've talked about interest rates. We've talked about, you know, transactions, buyers and sellers, we've talked about borrowing credit uh, and, and we're about to spend even more time talking about productivity growth, but that is going to be in the next episode of getting money, right?
0: That's right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, we would love if you would take a moment to uh, review this podcast and also share it with someone. Uh, We are up to over, I think, 220 some uh, five-star reviews, and we really appreciate those of you who have done that. Uh, What that does is it allows more people to be able to find our podcast, and we hope that that, because it's been beneficial for you and you've taken the time Uh, that that will happen so if you haven't done it though we'd love for you to do that Mm -hmm. help us to get beyond the 250 or so mark and we'd love to have more reviews so that more and more people can find this podcast also if you are on social media we'd love for you to share this podcast To gain access to this podcast, show notes, financial tools, and other relevant content, please visit leosabo.com where you will find me and everything that I am up to. David, where can people go to find more about what you're up to?
1: Come over to stewardshippastors.com. Check out the book, Jesus on Money, and spend some time with me there.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next time so that together we We can can keep keep getting getting money money right.
1: Credit is important because it allows the borrower, when they get that credit, to be able to increase their spending. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, I couldn't buy a $100,000 home unless Leo was willing to lend me $100,000.